0: Father, thank you so much for um, all that we've already heard and and sung and prayed and been reminded of this morning uh, about your extravagant love for us. It doesn't make sense that you would love the likes of us. And not just say you love us and give us a little nod, but to come in the flesh. Jesus, and take on our sin and the penalty for our rebellion, the very thing that separates us from your love, you have removed by taking it upon yourself. When you didn't deserve to be crucified for sin, you were crucified for our sin. And you were raised from the dead to prove that the payment for our sin was was paid in full and acceptable to God the Father oh God your love for us is extravagant and so would you help us come now Holy Spirit and help us to see uh, the extravagance of of Jesus exalted at the right hand of the father Holy Spirit we know that your your desire your job is to is to help us see Jesus to put the spotlight on him. So would you come and do that? I need your help because I cannot uh, preach and and teach your word uh, in any way that, that makes that happen. You have to open our eyes so that we see the wonder of who Jesus is in your word. So we ask that you would do that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if you have ever been accused of being so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. You ever been accused of that? Um, Well, today's sermon is liable to make you accuse me of uh, asking you to be that way. Um, My hope is that when you leave here this morning, you will have a desire to be so heavenly-minded that you are earthly good. Um... Page read from Col- Colossians 3, 1 and 2, when Paul says, if if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. But you may protest. Uh, uh, Jimmy, have you seen how bad things are on earth lately? <laughs> uh, there's, there's so much earthly bad going on down here. Don't you think we should be concerned with doing some earthly good uh, in our own culture and our own city and our own families and relationships? It's a mess. Shouldn't we be about, as God's people, doing earthly good? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, we should be concerned about the problems that are going on down here in what we call the real world. Um, But uh, if that's the case, then why are we going to spend the next few minutes thinking about this other world? Um, Well, it's because the Bible says that the real world uh, is where Jesus is. And from his perspective, we see what the real world is. Um, the Bible teaches that unless we're setting our minds on the unseen world, we're not dealing with the real world. Um, reality is defined by more than what we see, more than the natural world around us. Um, uh, one of uh, a British writer that I follow on Twitter said this recently. He said, "The newsfeed in heaven is very different from the newsfeed on earth." I don't know about you, I get so depressed looking at the newsfeed down here. Um, the news feed in heaven, the way God sees what's going on in the world, is very different. And we need to be reading his news feed. And so that's part of what we're going to do together this morning with Psalm uh, 110. So um, I, I'm reminded of One of the Celtic saints, her name was uh, Brigid, St. Brigid. You may not have heard of her, but she was known for uh, being heavenly-minded so that she could be earthly good. Her biographer wrote this about her. He said that as she was traveling one day to her destination in her chariot, she was deep in meditation, fixing her thoughts on the unseen world uh, so that she could gather strength and perspective for the task ahead. Her biographer described her with this phrase, said she was practicing the life of heaven on earth. Practicing the life of heaven on earth through the uh, disciplines of prayer and meditation. She apparently was fortifying herself to live the then and there of eternal glory in the here and now of her daily demands. And that's, that's what I believe Paul is calling us to do in in Colossians 3. And um, we'll need to meditate together on Psalm 110 to see uh, what on earth Jesus is doing in heaven. Because unless we are heavenly minded, I believe the Bible teaches, we will do no earthly good. Um, We must practice the life of heaven on earth. We must continue to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. But that presupposes we need to think about what is going on in heaven and what is heaven's perspective. Um, Jesus is in heaven. What's he up to? What on earth is Jesus doing up there? So that's what we're going to look at in Psalm 110. Um, Psalm 110 is the most often quoted Old Testament passage in the New Testament. At least 22 times. some I saw another commentator that said 27 times. Psalm 110 is either quoted or alluded to by the apostles or Jesus. And all of those references connect Jesus with Psalm 110. So, of all the Messianic Psalms, this one is clearly about Jesus because Jesus himself said that... Uh, He told the Pharisees, David, in the Holy Spirit, said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So Jesus himself uh, knew that Psalm 110 was all about him. So what we're going to do very quickly, I hope, uh, very quickly is to look at five things that Jesus is doing in heaven right now That make an impact on us as the church on earth. Now, in your program on the on the notes page, um, I failed to put the fifth one, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you what all five of these are, and um, and then we'll go back and look at them each pretty quickly. Um, What is what on earth is Jesus doing right now in heaven? Right now, every day, hour, and minute, Jesus is doing five things. He's sitting exalted. He's subduing enemies. He's sending emissaries. He's shattering evil. And the fifth one that's not in your program is he's securing eternity. He's doing those five things. Let's let's look at those. Um, and, And these are things that we can use as we're praying and meditating on what is Jesus doing, and especially on behalf of his church. He's sitting exalted Verse 1 of Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What does it look like for Jesus to be sitting at the right hand of God? Where if we're supposed to set on our minds on things above, uh, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, as Paul said, then what, I've, I've got to have something to set my mind on. So I would commend to you Revelation 4 and 5. Um, I'm not going to read those right now, but I would commend that to you this afternoon or sometime this week. Read Revelation 4 and 5. It's that incredible description of what's going on around the throne of God right now. Um, John describes God sitting on his throne, and he, it's so glorious that he, the only thing he can do is use precious stones to describe what he sees God sitting on his throne. And then there's the 24 elders. I'm not going to explain what all these are right now, but the 24 elders are surrounding the throne, casting their crowns before him. There's four living creatures, one with the face of a man, one with the face of a lion, one with the face of an ox, one with the face of an eagle, flying around the throne with wings and eyes all over them, and they are constantly singing praise choruses of holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty flying around the throne. And then John sees all of that going on. And then he sees a scroll in the hand of the one on the throne sealed with seven seals. And someone in the room says, who who will open this scroll? Who is worthy to open this scroll? They seem very concerned that this scroll needs to be opened by one who is worthy to do it. And so they're looking around and they're actually weeping because they can't find anyone. And John gets concerned. What's going on? One of the elders assures him and says, it's okay. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Obviously, he's talking about Jesus. And so when John looks to see this lion who possibly is worthy to open the scroll, He says, he sees a lamb, a lamb who is slain. And the lamb is the one who is worthy to open the scroll. Some commentators believe that that scroll represents God's story. The entire story, the entire plan of salvation that God has written from eternity past to eternity future. That includes, at the heart of it, the cross and the tomb the cross on which Jesus was the lamb who was slain for the sins of the world, but who was raised victorious as the king uh, over all creation, uh, destroying death, sin, Satan. Um, The lion is the lamb. The lamb is the lion. And he is the one who is worthy to open the plan and to enact it And to seal it with his blood and to make sure that it happens all the way into eternity future. That's what Jesus is doing right now in the throne room of heaven. He is being worshipped as the lamb who is worthy to take the scroll and open its seals. For he was slain and by his blood he ransomed people for God. And he has made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. What is Jesus doing right now? He's sitting at the right hand of God, exalted. And that concept of sitting is not that he's just sitting, twiddling his thumbs, waiting around for something to happen. That that concept of sitting is that he sits in power. He sits because his work is done, but he sits in power, ruling and exalted. I would encourage you to go back to Revelation 4 and 5 and just meditate on that scene that is charged with worship. So what does that scene in heaven help us do on earth? Well, I wonder if you ever get the sense that things are out of control. Ever wonder that? Look around the world. Look in your own life. Look in your family. Are things out of control? The lamb who was slain to enact the plan of God, he sits on the throne in power. He's in charge of the plan. He has the scroll. Um, I think sometimes when we feel like things are out of control or that God isn't paying attention or that God isn't answering our prayers or that where is God? We have to remember Jesus sits exalted as the one who has made purification for our sins and now is enacting the plan. He's continuing to enact God's plan to redeem his people for his own glory. Secondly, Jesus is subduing his enemies. It says, uh, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my, your footstool. In verse two, he says, the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies, Jesus. And so Jesus is subduing his enemies, particularly the enemies uh, we know as Satan and sin. Both of these enemies have already been disarmed and defeated, but Jesus is now working out the final assault on both of these enemies. We know that Satan is disarmed because Colossians 2.15 says, Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. We know that Satan is defeated because John, 1 John 3.8 says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And Hebrews 2.14 adds that through death, Jesus destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. Satan is already disarmed and defeated. But it's like when you chop the head off of a snake and you know that snake still flaps around. You know, depending on the the size of the snake, you could still do a little bit of damage, right? But the snake is done. Jesus is in the cleanup operation now. Satan has been defeated. He's been disarmed. He's been defanged. Yes, he's a powerful enemy. Yes, he still has a lot of influence. We can be certain that Jesus is subduing him. Well, that's the enemy outside of us. What about the enemy inside of us, our sin? We know that Jesus is subduing sin. He's subduing the sin of unbelievers because uh, Romans 1 tells us that the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and wickedness. And the way he's revealing his wrath against unrighteousness and wickedness, Romans 1 says, is by giving them over to their sin, letting, the, letting it do its destroying work. So one way Jesus is subduing sin is by letting it destroy itself. But in us, as believers, Jesus is still subduing sin. Yes, sin, sin is disarmed and defeated by the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. Romans 6 says, Sin is no longer your master, it no longer has dominion over you, it's been crucified with Christ, so consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin is disarmed and defeated in us, but Jesus is continuing to subdue it. Romans 8 tells us that the sin which has been disarmed by Jesus can now be defeated by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in Romans 8, Paul tells us to participate by the power of the Spirit in subduing sin in us. Put to death, therefore, the deeds, the misdeeds of the body by the Spirit, he tells us. So the enemy within is being subdued by Jesus through his Spirit. And perhaps you felt him doing that in you or trying to do that in you and asking you to participate. What is Jesus doing in heaven now? He's subduing his enemies, both the enemy without and the enemy within. Jesus is also sending emissaries. I had to find an E word that meant missionary. And so here's some emissaries, but we're all emissaries as his people. Uh, He says in verse three, uh, listen to this. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. Verse four, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. These verses describe Jesus as the great king who is also the great high priest who is putting together his kingdom of priests. His army, who will offer themselves freely, filled with his power, clothed with his armor, which is his righteousness, who will spread throughout all the earth like a refreshing dew. In your program at the bottom of the uh, notes page, I put this quote uh, from T.M. Moore. He says, From his seat at the right hand of God, Jesus Christ sends out his volunteers every day, like the refreshing dew to promote growth and goodness to the glory of God. We are the dew of the Lord. Everything we touch should know the refreshing experience of grace and truth. Everywhere we go should leave a glimmer of God's glory. Everyone we know should experience us as the dawning of a new day in which the darkness is being driven away toward that day when darkness will be no more. He goes on to say, no matter my calling, no matter your calling, our true vocation is to be agents of the creative and renewing goodness of Jesus Christ. He says, as our great high priest, Jesus Christ has reconciled the world to God, He has declared the cause of darkness to be lost and the flourishing of the light to prevail. And he is carrying out the renewing and restoring of the reconciled world through those who follow him, us as we are daily praying and working so that the goodness of the Lord might increasingly abound in the land of the living. What is Jesus doing right now in heaven? He's sending us out as his emissaries to be a refreshing dew of love for God and love for others in the places he's put us. Fourthly, Jesus is shattering evil. Verse 5, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. So what is Jesus doing in heaven right now about all the injustice that we see in the earth? And we don't even see but a fraction of the injustice that is there. He's preparing. He's preparing to make things right. He's preparing for the day when he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. Friends, we need to realize that there is coming a day, a day that the Bible calls the day of his wrath. I'd encourage you to read Psalm 2. Meditate on that. Jesus is the king, talked about, the anointed one talked about in Psalm 2, who will shatter those who rebel against him, but who welcomes those who will submit to him in faith. Um, It's coming. And I know that there's a little bit, you remember the show 24 and Jack Bauer? If you ever watched that, didn't you just feel with Jack this sense of justice? And didn't your heart just say yes when he brought justice? Now, we don't always agree with Jack's methods. Um, but because we're made in the image of God, we have that sense of right and wrong. We have this sense that there must be justice. Friends, we have a God who is not letting all this stuff slide. In Romans 2, he says, uh, to all sinners, because of your hard and impenet heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God has appointed a day when he will shatter evil forever. The problem is that we too deserve the wrath that is being stored up. He says in that same passage, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. It's a dangerous thing to pray for justice, especially when it comes to praying it for yourself. I prefer to cry mercy. God's kindness is meant to lead us to repentance, Paul says. So we have an opportunity as we think about Jesus preparing for the day that he will make all things right. Um, pray for justice, work for justice. But also pray for and work for mercy. All wrong, all sin will be punished. For all who submit to Jesus, he will take their judgment for them. For all who refuse Jesus, they will not escape the judgment of God, but they will receive it themselves. Friends, be encouraged. The day is coming. But be warned, you and I need to cry for mercy for the justice that we deserve. Finally, what is Jesus doing in heaven? He's securing eternity. Verse 7, it says, he, this king, this kingly priest, he will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, he will lift up his head. This is a picture of victory won and rest enjoyed. The battle's over. He's drinking, refreshing himself. From the brook. The lifting up of the head is an Old Testament way of saying, I'm victorious. My head is lifted up above my enemies. Jesus is securing our eternity, the one in which we will enjoy with him rest and refreshment and victory over all evil that has been vanquished once he does that. And so Jesus could say to his disciples and to us in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Friends, Jesus is securing your eternity where you will, as Revelation 21 and 22 say, you and Jesus and All of us together who belong to him will drink from the river of life that flows from under the throne of God. And we will rest and be satisfied that he is our victorious king. So that's what Jesus is doing that has an impact on what we're doing now on earth. He is sitting exalted. He's subduing his enemies. He's sending emissaries. He's shattering evil. And he's securing our eternity. And he asks us to set our minds on that or else we will be no earthly good. Here's a really crude example of how that worked for me last night. Last night, I was in a foul mood. Shocking. Um, My dear wife was asking me to help her do something that she had wanted done for a while clean out the garage so that when our children come home from college and bring all their stuff we have somewhere to put it and i just uh, i just did it and was mean and nasty wasn't i she smiling, and um i didn't want to do it i just didn't want to do it and she she was very wise she said well we're not going out to eat until this is done She knows how to motivate me. So, but I was just, ugh. and at some point, not soon enough, I was outside and I, in the garage and she was inside. And I just thought, I guess the Spirit said, Huh, oh, what are you preaching about tomorrow? Psalm 110. What is Jesus doing in heaven right now? And I I couldn't get past sitting exalted. How can I act like this when the one who loves me and loves my wife and has served me by making purification for my sins and now sits at the right hand of God, enthroned in honor and power? And I imagined, I imagined him going, Jimmy, come on. It's just the garage. I love you. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm not against you. Think big picture. You just want to be comfortable. Come on. Serve. I couldn't even get to the other four. So I I say that to encourage you, and, and I repented to Christine, but I say that to say, Notice what could happen if we start thinking about where Jesus is and what he has done and what he is doing. We spend a whole lot of time thinking about what would Jesus do and worrying about whether I'm going to be doing what Jesus would do. As we're going to see over the next few weeks, friends, the New Testament is a whole lot more concerned that we think and think about and pray about and believe about what Jesus has did what he is doing and what he will, will one day do. Faith is thinking about what Jesus did, what he's doing. Hope is faith in what he will do. Love is what we're supposed to do in the meantime. Um, the only way I can love, the New Testament teaches, is if I'm convinced that what Jesus did, is doing, and will do, is true. And that he's for me and not against me. Um, So I commend to you uh, Psalm 110. Think about what on earth Jesus is doing in heaven.